Good morning, downtown Pearlside. It's great to see you all here, and uh, it's good to see you online, even though I don't see you. I know you're there. I can feel you, but praise God. Uh, we are together in this series, Made for Greatness, and I think it's important to be together for this series because sometimes when we're by ourselves, we think, oh, that's not me. But there's something about when, when I got together with Paul this morning, and his faith just filled me with greater faith for today. And uh, so there's something critical, important about coming together. And so I want to echo Paul. Uh, we want to invite you to just be here in person when you're ready to come. We are ready for you. So we are all made for greatness. And that's the series we've been in now for a month and a half. So last month, we talked about the life of Joseph. And you could see through all the different trials, whether it's been a, he was thrown in a pit, he was literally in a a house that he was set up in, in Potiphar's house and in prison, that God was setting him up for the palace. So we talked about that and what God does inside of us. Well, this idea of made for greatness, God is making something inside of us. And so that's evident also in David's life. And so we spent the last two weeks talking about David being secure in the shepherd field, secure in the shepherd field. And so we talked about dealing with insecurities uh, two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about dealing and overcoming fear in our lives and how we do that through the different Goliaths that, that may come against the, the path that we have that God has for us to be able to get to this destination of greatness. Well, to this week, we're going to talk about spears. Spears. What, what happens when spears are thrown at our lives? And yesterday, there was a, a black spear the size and shape of a Dodge truck that tried to run my family and I off the road. And, uh, you know, my wife, she normally gets super jumpy when I drive because, you know, I, I, I grew up in the 90s. That's when I got my driver's license. You know, poor roads back in the 90s because I, I did some crazy things. And that's when Fast and Furious came out as well, that franchise. So, you know, I'm living that life where I live life a quarter mile at a time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that, especially in a Toyota Sienna with four kids in it. I don't drive like that anymore. That was the old me, Loy. I know you're thinking you still drive. I don't. I don't. But there's other people apparently on the road that still drive very recklessly, like they're being filmed in a Universal Studios movie. And um, one tried to run us off the road yesterday. And so immediately, you know, I, I got on the horn to let them know that I'm here and it's not going to end well for both of us if you keep careening towards me. Then, but I, I put on a little extra, because that little extra was like, <laughs> and, and I was thinking about it out there, you know, that's how road rage starts, right? Someone does something, someone responds and retaliates, and then that other person that got retaliated against returns of another retaliation, and then things escalate. And it was like crazy, because after that, um, that, that person and I, we didn't get into a road rage incident, but we were driving, and we just started seeing all kinds of other things happening. And I think my wife at that moment just wanted to just close her eyes and be raptured up into heaven already, because it was intense. I was like, what is going, are we in a movie set, for real? Um, but we, we, I say that because in life, that's what it feels like. It feels like as we're on this path to greatness, and I know some of us already, we're like, I don't even know if I want to go there because it, it's scary. There's so many things that come against us. There's so many uh, things that try to hurt us and stop us. What do we do to overcome these things? 
Well, I'm glad you're asking that because that's what God wants to instill faith in our hearts through this particular area today. And uh, so we've been looking at the book of 1 Samuel, talking about the life of David. Samuel is the prophet of God that anointed David to be king, but David is not yet king. Even though he was anointed as a shepherd boy, getting called in from the field, being left out with his brothers, he was anointed to be king. Even though he conquered this monster named Goliath that no one else could fight, no one was willing to fight, no one had the faith in God to fight, but David did, he's still not yet king. However, because of the success, he's now getting so, some notoriety. The current king, his, king is, his name is Saul, King Saul. He's the first king. Now, mind you, I want to I say this again because it really speaks to us to this day. The reason why the Israelites even have a king is because they were crying out and complaining to God. All these other nations have kings. Not fair, God. Where's our king? When God is their king, God is their perfect king. So he's like, okay, you really want a king? Have at it. And they pick Saul. Saul was the people's choice. But David is God's choice because David, it says in Scripture, is a man after God's heart. So in this series, when we talk about being made for greatness, it's not having amazing skills or attributes or talents, uh, finances, you know, like, wow, you can just make something out of nothing. You're a successful entrepreneur. And we do have people like that in this room, and that's great. But that doesn't disqualify you from greatness just because you don't have those accolades and those abilities what qualifies you for greatness is being after God's heart, a woman after God's heart, a man after God's heart. But what happens when spears from other people pierce our hearts? And so we're going to look at that uh, throughout this morning, but we start off with 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to read from verse 5 through 9. It says, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful. Everyone say, so successful. And then if you're Chinese, say, so successful. <laughs> okay, no Chinese people in here. <laughs> he was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home and after Saul had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? So now Saul's kingdom feels threatened, right? And verse 9 says, and from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So what's happening here? Even when God is for you, others may be against you. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your living word. And we thank you, God, that even in this room, Lord, we've been wounded. There's uh, hearts, Lord God, that are hurting. There's people that are outside the walls of this church and sometimes even within the walls of the church that seem like they're against us. But we thank you, Lord God, for your living word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for faith. 
rising up to receive that word. And we pray that you would allow us to navigate any and every situation thrown against us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what's happening here is that Saul, even though he was anointed to be king, he's recognizing this David is so successful, so success, so successful that, that he feels like, man, he's going to take my kingdom. He's going to take my throne. And he feels threatened. And that's jealousy. And the jealousy, as I, we talked about two weeks ago, comes from insecurity. We compared and contrast Saul's heart and David's heart. David was secure because he was secure in his relationship with God. Saul, on the other hand, rejected God. And because Saul rejected God, God rejected him as king. And so Saul's sensing this, and he feels threatened. And before I go any further, we see it even within our own lives. This message is for every one of us, even as followers of Christ. Right? I'll put it in this way. You know, maybe... Some of us in here, we don't have that new car that we've been wanting. Financially, it's tough. And so we're driving around a car that we'd consider a beater. And then all of a sudden, there's another church member parking in front of us or next to us on a Sunday morning, waving, looking extra happy because they got paper plates. You know what paper plates are, right? On the front of the car, that's when it's brand new on the back of the car because it's brand new. They didn't even get their license plate yet. And, and maybe it's like a luxury brand. And so you're sitting there. And instead of like, man, God bless that brother in Christ. Yeah, happy for that sister in Christ. You're thinking, how much do they spend on that? You know, I'm going to ask Pastor Tim for the tithing records and see if they, are they even giving? That's how they could afford that car probably because they're not, they're probably keeping everything for themselves. They don't give towards anything and they just hoard it for themselves. And you're, 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 you're passing judgments and, and making all these things up in your head. Right? That's surely not any of us in here. Right? We, we, we're happy when other people get blessed. And, and now let's take it a step further. Maybe it's at work. Maybe we've been you know, slaving away, putting in overtime, doing all the tasks that's been asked of us. And then all of a sudden, there's a young upstart got hired way after us. But just because the, the boss likes them better and their personality, something about them, they got promoted above us. Do we give them a high five? Congratulations. We're like, congratulations, you know, grinning our teeth as we congratulate them. And we're, that should be me, took my position. And so on the path of greatness, we're going to encounter these things. And this message, as we talk about Saul and David, I'm not just saying we can be David, but we got to watch out not becoming Saul. Because this is exactly what's happening in Saul. I look at it, um, even in my household, I see it all the time with my children, my children have a hard time, and they say this a lot, and maybe this is us. We say it a lot, too, is this phrase. That's not fair. So for Saul, he's probably thinking, that's not fair that David got to beat Goliath, and now he's famous, when reality was Saul had every opportunity and should have been the one as the king of Israel, representing the people, he was the bi- Saul was the biggest in Israel. That's why they, partly why they picked him. He was tall. He stood uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. So in terms of who could really match up with Goliath, he probably didn't match up like pound for pound and height for height, 
but he was definitely the, the biggest in Israel to at least go at it, and he was the king, so he should have protected the people. But he's probably thinking, oh, David, you know, took that opportunity to beat Goliath, and making up all these excuses and saying it's not fair. As a parent, I love this, you know, to be able to come in with this magical phrase. When my kids say it's not fair, I look at them, and I'm like, you're right. Life is not fair. And, but that's true. Because if we're always going to look at life, like, that's not fair. That guy got that promotion. It's not fair. She got the new car. It's not fair. They got married and I'm still single. We're going to live life constantly, living life in jealousy. Jealousy left to harbor and reside in our hearts become bitterness. And then we're just bitter people walking around. And that's what's happening to Saul. So much so where now he's not right in the head, literally. Saul starts getting a little crazy here, and we're going to see this next section in verse 25. Um, as Saul is jealous of David, he's setting David up to die. And so how he does this is he uses, he uses his own daughter to set up David. So his daughter is a daughter of the, queen, uh, the king, so this is a big deal, princess. He's like, you can marry my daughter as a prize. However... To marry my daughter, he gives him this impossible task. Let's look. Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins. That's a lot of foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Okay, first of all, let's put ourselves in David's shoes. You're successful. You're, you're going on these military conquests. You're doing well. And then all of a sudden, you think, okay, here is this promotion. I get to marry the king's daughter. This is big for my career advancement. But all of a sudden, there's this ridiculous job being given to you, this filthy job of having to not just kill Philistines, but to remove their foreskins. Okay, if we were David, how many of us, and maybe some of us, we're in very similar situations right now. We feel like we don't deserve the kind of work we're doing. It's, it's, it's not right. It's not fair. It is wrong that our boss or at home, we're put in these situations where we have to do these things that feel filthy, that no one else wants to do. Why are we stuck doing it? But what does David do? He not only does it, he does it way quicker than the allotted time. So that means he was pretty like zealous. Woo, let's go, 104 skins. And then, and it's not even like a hundred foreskins, but it's like 200. He went above and beyond and doubled what was required of him. Man, that is amazing. Because if we were to put ourselves in David's shoes, I think some of us, we'd be so frustrated, so upset at the task at hand that we would take the full time and not even give the full amount. So instead of do you even doing the hundred that was required? We come in, 54 skins. That, that's a lot, okay? You didn't give me that much time. You, you try cut off four skins. 
And the, the whole thing about the foreskins, by the way, just to remind um, us all, we talked about this a few weeks ago, it represents the covenant between God and his people. So the Israelites, they, uh, the men were circumcised because the circumcision represented the promise of God that they have this covenant. Covenant is more than contract. Covenant is a relational agreement of getting to a common goal with one another. So God has a covenant with David. David has a covenant with God. And because of this covenant, no matter what task David had to do, he was more than willing to do it. Because why? He was doing it for God and he was doing it with God. And so when you read 1 Samuel 18 and other parts that we didn't get to today, it says God was with David and because God was with David, everything he did was successful. So much so where he even doubled that which was required of him. So I know some of us, we're put in situations where we are quick to say, it's not fair. And we think, man, this is so wrong. I'm stuck here doing two people's jobs by myself. I'm going to give half the effort. When we realize we're not doing it for man. But as we looked at in 1 Corinthians last week, it says, with everything you do, everything means everything. With everything you do, do it unto the glory of God, not serving your earthly masters, but serving God. And I had to learn that lesson firsthand in many different times in ministry. Because in ministry, you don't really have a job description. You're asked to do anything and everything. And for those of you who have been working with the church involved, you know that. You know, we have Sherry. She's awesome. But she's always asking me, okay, make sure you get a job description for this next person and that person. And that's good. That's just to protect people. Because I didn't have a job description for many years. So I did everything, you know, like wash pastors' cars and, you know, watch pastors' kids. But the worst was scrubbing vomits off a wall. So we used to throw these um, secret parties at, at the church because we were trying to draw teenagers. You know, back in the 90s, it was amazing. When I got saved as a teenager, uh, God was doing something amazing where we were just seeing a youth revival. And so we were like, come on, let's, let's throw a rave for Jesus. And we won't tell them it's for Jesus. So people are like in there, the lights are dark, the lights are going, uh, the flashing lights are going. And all of a sudden, the music would cut out. We turn on the lights. We'd be like, ha ha, we got you. <laughs> And then we tell them, we tell them about Jesus, and then, and then they're like, what is this? It's a trap. And it didn't work, you know, because we did, like, bombard them with, with stuff that they, didn't, they weren't expecting. We learned from our lesson. But because we were reaching out to the community, there's people that came in drunk and high. And so the next day, I was tasked to clean the bathrooms and the whole warehouse. The warehouse wasn't too bad. just had to vacuum. The bathrooms were the worst. Going into the bathrooms, there was trash everywhere, stuff that I can't even describe. And then the worst of all is occasionally there'd be vomit on the walls. I remember coming in and looking at the vomit and thinking, I'm going to quit. I, this is not cut out for me. This is not fair that I got to do this. I didn't want to do it. But then God reminded me, he asked me, who are you doing this for? And when I finally came to a place where I realized God, I'm doing it for you. Man, this big smile came upon me. I'm like, I love cleaning vomit. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't have, that's psychotic. <laughs> but, but inside, I had this joy and I had this strength. So even though on the outside, I'm like, this is gross, you know, scrubbing it off the walls and everything. Um, inside, I had this joy. And scripture says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. 
And so I had this strength to all of a sudden do things that I didn't think I could do or want to do. And that's the same kind of joy and strength that came upon David. A hundred foreskins, you got 200. And they count them all. That's a lot. And so sometimes maybe your boss is asking you to put in a hundred extra overtime hours this year. And you're like, man, I don't even know how I'm going to do that. My schedule's so tight. I have only this much energy. But are you doing it for your boss? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for God? Because when you realize you're doing it for God, you can do things even beyond what you think you can imagine because you have a covenant with God. When you have a covenant, that's what allows you to get to a place of greatness even beyond what you think you can achieve because you're doing it with him. And when you do it with him, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. So David is doing that um, great exploits because he's doing it with God. And it, gets, it goes from bad, instead of better, it gets worse for David in terms of his situation with Saul. So now we fast forward here. Uh, David is in, the, in Saul's courtyard, worshiping before the throne, um, allowing Saul to enter into worship. Verse 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 19 says, But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, which is like a harp, so this is David, he's worshiping God. Lord, I lift your name on high. You know, old school song. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I don't know. I don't know what he was singing. <laughs> singing some psalm. So pick any psalm you like. So he's singing, he's singing to God with the lyre in his hand. Saul sitting there bothered by an evil spirit with a spear in his hand. It's not going to end well. It says, verse 10, Saul tried to pin him into the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. So what is happening here? First of all, some of us, maybe we're getting hung up, as we should, because this is fascinating, but an evil spirit from Satan. No, an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. What does that mean? Well, just taking a step, a few steps back, remember the context. God didn't reject Saul. Saul first rejected God. And so God's spirit was on Saul. But when, when Saul rejected God, that left his heart vulnerable for other spirits to come and harass him. Because if God is filling the place, having the throne of, of the throne place of Saul's heart, there's no other thing that can rule over Saul. But because Saul, out of his pride, insecurity, rejected God and God's ways, refused God, now he left his throne open in his heart, in his soul, for another spirit to come. But did God send this evil spirit? It says, from the Lord. What the scripture is saying is actually God allowed it. So it's not like God is in heaven, like, oh, I'm going to create an evil spirit. Damn, got you, Saul. <laughs> That's not what God did. God allowed it to happen. The evil spirit was there, and he's like, okay, Saul, if you reject my spirit, this is what's going to happen. And that's what happens in our lives. When we keep rejecting God and his spirit, 
we're leaving ourselves vulnerable and God allows other things to come. Now for that, it's for us to feel the pain because many of us, we don't want to change until it's painful enough and saying, I don't want this in my life anymore. And we realize that the only person that can help me is his name is God. His name is Jesus. That's why Jesus is not just Lord. He is our Savior. We can't save ourselves. We need God to save us, Jesus to save us. And we can't lead ourselves because when we try to lead ourselves, like Saul, it's like, I don't need you, God, telling me what to do. I'm going to lead things my own way. We end up in, instead of a, a good situation, into a bad situation. And so Saul here is harassed by the Spirit so much so where he tries to commit murder. He throws a spear at David. But David then grabbed the spear and threw it back at Saul and killed Saul. No, but that's how we feel. What do spears represent? Many of us, we don't live in hostile environments. I hope, I hope all of us actually don't live in any physical hostile environments where, where bullets or spears or punches are being thrown at you. Unless you do MMA, then you're putting yourself in that situation. I can't help you. But many of us physically, we're safe, right? So we think like, ah, oh, what are you talking about, pastor? I don't have spears in my life. But how many of us Either we're in a toxic workplace environment or maybe it's our very own home and families where we get around people we are supposed to trust, supposed to watch over us like a king, but yet instead of helping us, they're hurting us. And they say things like, you are good for nothing. You're so lazy. You're so stupid. You're so dumb. And they insult us. Or worse, they tell other people, about us and things that are not true or not warranted has no basis and then now other people start to think this about us because of the spears that these individuals have thrown at us so while the spears don't physically pierce our bodies these spears pierce our thoughts and pierce our hearts and some of us were walking around with spears just poking out of us like it's appendage it doesn't belong so how do we dodge these spears well, what I love is that while Saul had a spear in his hand, David had a, a lyre or harp in his. It's worship. David was so busy worshiping God that the worship allowed him to not get struck by these spears. He was elusive. He eluded the spear through a heart of worship. Because why? Because David is a man after God's heart. Even as a pastor, I can go through tough weeks. You know, I can get bad news financially. I can get into a fight with my wife, sometimes even on the way to church, but I'm not going to get into that today. That, that's not today, by the way, in case you're wondering. You know, that's why she's smiling right now, because if it, it wasn't, she wouldn't be smiling. You, you never, now you're going to be looking at Blanca next time as a thermometer. Oh, she doesn't look happy. They must have got into a fight at, on the way to church. No, it doesn't happen that often, okay, guys? So don't do that. Um, but I, I, can, I can have a tough time and, and come into a place like this, an environment of worship, and then my heart change, changes. It comes from being struck by a spear. I can come into a place of healing. I can come into a place of health, and I can come into a place of holiness where God makes us whole through worship. But the good news is worship is not just here confined in these four walls in which we do. And we cannot take Sam and take Sarah. Hey, I need you to come and worship with me at work. My workplace is a hostile environment. Can you just show up and start singing? You know, and 
It's like, it's like they're like a Christmas quireling. <laughs> quireling. Caroling. <laughs> I see a Chinese. I make up my own words. I know. Christmas caroling. That, that's not going to happen. But we can keep a heart of worship like I had to do while I was cleaning that vomit. That when we are worshiping, we're going to be so busy and enamored with the heart of God that we're not going to allow the spirits to strike our own hearts when they get thrown at us. But what are some practical keys on how to dodge spears? The first thing is, with that heart of worship, it's a heart to honor God more than to fear man. That's the first thing. And so as we continue in this uh, reaccount of, of Saul's life and David's life, Saul is now, after David ran from Saul with that spear being thrown at him, David gets the picture. He realizes, okay, I am a wanted man. And Saul, with his army, is hunting David like a dog and is pursuing David. Again, David is next in line to be king. He's anointed king. So as David, if we were in his shoes, we'd be like, God, what is going on? Because he is in a cave. He can be bitter at God, and now he's thinking... You know, if, if in his flesh, in, if we were him, we probably think, man, when I see that Saul, I'm going to get him. But what, what happens here? It says, verse 2, so David is hiding in a specific cave, all right? Just so happens, Saul ends up in that same cave. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And David, or sorry, Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day. Because they got to whisper, right? Because if they talk loud, Saul, like, who said that? So they're whispering. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut Saul's throat. No, he didn't. It says he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Verse six, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Hopefully he washed his hands. Saul did not know. Saul was doing his thing you know, doing his thing. <laughs> I saw my wife say, I said, stop, just move on. Okay, honey, I will. <laughs> and David had every opportunity to kill Saul. And this, is, this wouldn't just be unwarranted, cold-blooded murder. This is self-defense. Saul was hunting David, and not only that, but all these voices, his men, David's men that were with him in the cave, all of them have a death warrant out on them. Kill, no need to apprehend. Every one of these men are being hunted for their lives. And so for these men, it's not that they're just angry at Saul. They want to preserve their own life. So all these men are like, David, kill him now. This is your opportunity. Come on. 
And how many of us are in those situations where someone's attacked us and we're so tempted? We're like, oh, if, if the world only knew about you, you know, and, and, and we get into fights and the people we love the most can hurt us the most and we know the most garbage and, and details on them, right? And sometimes, like, it's not fair when you're in a fight and then the other person, or maybe even if it's you, throws out something that's completely irrelevant to the fight. It's like, wait, where did that come from? What does that have to do with what we're fighting about? And, and that's what David could have done. Like a sneak attack came out of nowhere when Saul was most vulnerable and, and David had every excuse to. But what does David do? Cut a piece of the robe of Saul instead. But why was David so conscience-stricken over that cut piece? You know, was it such a beautiful robe? Oh, it's Versace. I can't believe I just cut a Versace robe. God, forgive me. Versace. It wasn't because it was Versace. Because the robe represented the rule, the kingship, and the authority given from God to Saul. Now, David, in cutting off that robe, is saying, I have taken your kingdom from you, Saul. But yet, it, he realized it was never his to take. It is for God's to give. And if it belongs to God, then also the trust belongs to God, not in himself. That was an action of trusting in himself or listening to all the voices around him that were speaking contrary to what he was supposed to do. And he obeyed those voices and he disappointed God. And so his heart was broken before God. And I think about it, I think that's so great because many of us, we just justify it. Well, God, at least I didn't kill Saul. So just be happy, God, okay, that I did this. And we try to bargain with God or manipulate the situation, right? And, and play it down in what we've done. And if we do that, we're going to always miss the path to greatness. Because doing that allows us to allow the spear to penetrate our hearts so much that we now, even in this cutting off of the rope, picking up that knife and cutting it is like what Saul did in picking up the spear and throwing it. So for us, when we do these things and we're tempted to throw back an insult to someone or somehow we have an opportunity to make them look bad or expose them and we take it for, because of, uh, out of spite and out of uh, our own gain and our own advantage, then we're no better than Saul himself. And that's what this message is really about, is that it's, it's almost like a sliding scale here, where you have David on one end, you have Saul on the one end. And how easy it is for us when someone cuts, off, cuts us off in traffic to want to retaliate and cut them back off, to, to honk louder than them. So, you know, when someone cusses at us, what do we say? We, do we say it back at them? Or instead of like, beep you, we say, bless you. And then can you imagine a world where everyone's just trying to, like you hurt somebody and they're like, oh, bless you. No, bless you, bless you. You know, like it's like, oh, thank you. I receive it. Instead of getting at one another. And how do we do that? First of all, we recognize like David came back to a place where, you know, God it's your throne to give. In other words, he's saying, God, you are in control. This is not my throne to take. And so whatever situation in your life that seems out of control, and especially because of its other people that are making it out of control, the people you live with, the people you work with, the people you play with, I want to remind you that they are not in control. Neither are we supposed to be in control. 
because only God is truly in control. But it's up to us. It's up to us to let go of that spear and open up our hands to trust God. And when we do that, we are able to make a decision to forgive. I'm sorry. We're able to trust God for justice. I let you know the last point just now, but the second point is trust God for justice. First Samuel chapter 26. So that was the, the first opportunity David had to kill Saul in the cave. Now David finds Saul and his soldiers asleep at a camp, and he has another opportunity to kill Saul. So now, many more days, even after he spared Saul's life, Saul knows that his life was spared in the cave. Saul continues to hunt David like a dog to kill David and his men. So here's another opportunity for David to kill Saul. And Saul is sleeping, but David says this, As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come to an end and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. It's amazing. I am blown away by this because you think that justification-wise, okay, I let Saul go already the first time. I could have killed him. And he should have repented. Saul should have changed. If he only knew what I did for him, that ungrateful king. So here's an opportunity for me to finally teach him his lesson. But David didn't have to do that. The reason why David didn't is he realized vengeance is mine, says the Lord. As we look at Romans chapter 12, repay no one evil for evil. That's what David did. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's what David did. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's what David did. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what David did. And the reason why David was able to do that is he is a man after God's heart. So as we decide to be people after God's heart, we can do the same thing. We have the ability to not return evil for evil. We have the ability to say that vengeance is not mine, but vengeance belongs to God. And because vengeance belongs to God, I can be at peace. Even when things are unsettled around me and the circumstances haven't changed, that person is still my boss or I still live with this person. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And we can trust in God in that. And when we do that, we can then let go of the spear and be able to forgive. Instead of returning back the attack and the assault, we can forgive. Colossians chapter 3 Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, we we'll pause here real quick. I would love it. You know, like, there's certain mornings it's so hard for, t- for me to get out of bed. You remember the Jetsons? You wake up, and uh, George Jetson, he's like, like this, and then the robots, you know, are like brushing his hair and brushing his teeth and getting him dressed, you know? His wife, Judy, and he's just like, oh, this is awesome, man. And he just goes out the door all dressed, and he didn't even have to think about it. You know, one day we might end up like that, yeah? Siri, Alexa, get me dressed. Okay, let's go. But we have to, last time I checked, every single one of us, pull out the pants and put on the pants one leg at a time, put on the shirt or the dress, whatever you wear, 
and we have to intentionally decide to put it on. I love how clear scripture is about this, that this is not something that it's going to automatically happen. We're not just going to feel like it, but we got to be intentional and decide to do it. And then verse 13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love it. So the final piece of the outfit, it's all wrapped in love. So you cannot say that you truly receive the love of God if you can't love others. And that love, the ultimate expression of love is demonstrated in the act and form of forgiveness. You see it on the cross. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. And as we look at 1 Peter, if anyone had a right to feel vindicated and justified for all the atrocities he experienced on this earth, that would be Jesus. And if anyone had the power to take revenge and to get back at all those that have hurt him and lied about him, that would have been Jesus. But what does 1 Peter chapter 2 say? To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So we should be like Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. No spears were found in his mouth. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, so when he got speared, he did not retaliate. He didn't throw the spear back. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for forgiveness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I love this. You know, David was a shepherd. Are we allowing Jesus to be the shepherd of our souls, the shepherd of our hearts? And just as Jesus was pierced for our transgressions as he was nailed to the cross, there are times where you're going to get pierced by even people that are, you're supposed to be able to trust, supposed to be able to love, people you look up to, people in authority in your life. And you're going to get pierced by that. Or like a Saul, sometimes maybe we have that position of authority and we feel like, man, this David trying to take my position and we have opportunities to bring them down instead of elevating them for their success. And we get jealous. In those moments, we need to kill the Saul inside of us. We need to allow the word of God to come and pierce the Saul, the selfishness, the jealousy inside of us. But when we get pierced by others, we got to be like Jesus. We got to trust God and remember, Jesus, you forgave me. Jesus, you endured the sufferings. Jesus, you endured the persecution. And God is making something in us through all the pain that we go through in our lives. And I want to close with this story about a soldier named Sergeant Deshazer. And uh, he's part of the Doolittle Raid. After Pearl Harbor was attacked, uh, the U.S. forces mounted up a plan to fly over Tokyo to bomb the, some of the military factories and the foundries in that area. And 
it was more to strike a psychological blow to Japan to, to let them know you're not as invincible as you think. And uh, it seemed like a mission impossible. They were supposed to land in a, a safety zone in China somewhere, but all 16 planes didn't make it to the landing spot. And Doolittle's um, plane, all of them were captured by the Japanese. Eight of them were captured. They remained in Japanese prison camps for 40 months. During that, those 40 months, Doolittle watched one of, them, one of his fellow soldiers die from sickness and the other three executed. But how did the other four, including Doolittle, end up living? Well, in the 40 months, they endured systemic torture, routine beatings, starvation, and get this, 34 months of solitary confinement. This is how everything changed for DeShazer. In May 1944, he was managed to, he was managed to uh, take possession of a Bible while in prison. And what he read, particularly the passages suggesting he offered forgiveness to the Japanese who had imprisoned him, turned him into a devout Christian. He said this in his memoirs, God gave me grace to confess my sins to him and he forgave me all my sins and saved me for Jesus' sake. Suddenly, I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes and that when I looked at the enemy officers and guards who had starved and beaten my companions and me so cruelly, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. And so that's exactly what he did. There was this one particular guard uh, that would be extra cruel to him and his, his fellow soldiers. And he treated in response back to that guard, instead of throwing spears back at him, with compassion, with kindness, with the love of God, with forgiveness. And DeShazer looks back later on and concluded that this had probably saved his life and the lives of the other prisoners. Because if they already executed three, what was to stop this guard and the other guards from executing him and the rest of them? So DeShazer was repatriated in 1945 where he was allowed to go back to the U.S. because the war is over. And he gets married, has kids. You think, oh, I'm done with Japan. Never again. Three years after being set free, he returns back to Japan and starts a church there to share the transforming love and the power of forgiveness to the very ones that took his uh, fellow soldier's life and nearly took his own life. And he started to preach the gospel there. And he wrote a book, I Was a Prisoner of Japan, which ended up selling 30 million copies worldwide. And one person in particular that got a hold of a copy and ended up meeting uh, the Shazer is Captain Mitsuo Fujita. Mitsuo Fujita is the captain of the initial um, battalion of planes that attacked Pearl Harbor. He was so struck by this message of forgiveness from the Bible that he too became a Christian. And then this is where it gets amazing to me, where the two then became friends, deeply influenced by the Shazer. Uh, Fuchida decided to become a Christian missionary. And these former enemies paired up to preach the message of reconciliation at Japanese centers 
And they toured the U.S. preaching together, watching thousands of lives impacted with the gospel, many saved through their message. Some of us, we never experience greatness in our lives because we're too quick to pick up the spear in our own hands. And we've aborted the great things and what God could do if we were just to wait, trust that he is the God of all justice, that he is the God that is in control of any and every situation. And I love the song, Same God, that we've been singing because the same God of David that was the God of David in the caves, that was God, the God of David in the throne room when spears were, throwing at, were being thrown at him, the same God in every battlefield before David became king, David realized God is in control. Well, he's the same God today right here in our midst. Do we have that same heart after God, trusting that God you are still in control. Despite this person being out of control in my life, they are crazy, God. You know, right, how crazy they are? You got to know, God. Well, God wants us to not be like them. And that's for us to trust in him and his spirit and remember that it was already Jesus that has gone before us and has died for us. So now when spears get thrown, us, thrown at us, we can be invincible because we have the power and the love of God resting in our hearts. So with every eye closed, I'm going to pray for us right now. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are good. And even though there's been a lot of spears that have been thrown that are bad, it doesn't change the fact that you are good. So we pray right now in the name of jesus first of all for some of us we've been walking around with spears stuck in our hearts we look like a walking pin cushion because of how much insults how much lies how much pain we've been carrying from others some of us and some of these things it's because of things we've done and yeah we see them and it's our fault but there's also the the spears that were that were blindsided we never saw it coming and it's been stuck in us